Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Humans Aren't Robots, a series of conversations with designers and creative thinkers uncovering the human elements of teams and modern business practices. I'm your host as always, Sam Davies, and on today's episode we sat down with the co-founder of Foria, a really cool studio out of Melbourne, Trent Clues de Castella. I met Trent at PauseFest earlier in the year. Trent was set up with his team from Foria in the expo hall, demoing some of the immersive tech that they build. So Foria specializes in immersive technologies. So that is a virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. And they aim to transport us to other places, other worlds. Really cool VR technology and yeah, it's really inspiring stuff they're working on. So we chatted with Trent about some of the things they're doing in the studio at Foria and a little bit about the business itself. It's been a, a great success story in Melbourne. They've grown quite quickly over the last few years. So I was interested in hearing a bit about his story and about where they're going. So without further ado, let's jump in with Trent. But uh, let, let's jump in here with Trent from Foria. Sounds good. Live from Pause Fest. So you, you just come off the stage, have you? Just come off the stage, How'd yeah. It, go? it was amazing. Uh, incredible feedback. Definitely a right place, right time to be talking about how technology and humanity can come together to drive action, I feel. So, yeah, great feedback. A whole bunch of people lining up right after the talk Amazing. to really dive in and try it out firsthand. It's nice to get that, uh, that feedback and having people coming in and actually trying things, you know, in person. That's it. Yeah, and we actually have a whole bunch of researchers. Uh, I was just caught up with them then talking about the emotional and both intellectual connection they were feeling through AR, which is just inspiring and yeah, really uplifting to hear. Yeah. Cool. So we'll jump in and have a chat about the, the product and what you're doing, but um, is this your first time at Pause Fest or you've been coming for a few years? Or? Yeah, no, I've been at Pause Fest maybe four times over the last five years now. Uh, started in the old startup alley and Pause has probably had about three startups exhibiting yeah. there. So <laughs> yeah, amazing experience, like just getting out in public and you realize after a short period of time how many familiar faces you see around the place yeah. and watching Pause grow whilst we've been growing alongside. It's been a really fun journey. That's exciting. You're based in Melbourne? Yeah, based in Melbourne, just out of Fitzroy, crew of about 30, hustling, trying to get it done. Nice. Yeah. So what's been the journey like for you? 30, 30 people is, you know, is no mean feat, so <laughs> how long has it been up and running? No mean feat, but many mouths to feed. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, it's, it's stressful. It's It's been good. Like, we, we've grown, you know, somewhat organically. Um, in the early days, we were pretty bootstrapped, right? So we have five founders. Okay. Uh, went to school with all of them, so we kind of broke apart and did our separate things individually and then have come back together with a whole bunch of different skills and really brought that into the fold and that's kind of helped us hustle and get a lot done on a shoestring budget along the days like we work in uh, we call it xr but basically you know we started with 3d scanning and talking about virtual reality in those early days was pretty rough you know people assume you're either selling uh, snake oil or smoke, <laughs> smoke and mirrors and so how long ago is this uh six years ago yeah so very like the dawn of vr yeah. in the sort of most recent context mm. where you know things like google cardboard were coming out and so this concept of like using a smartphone is really coming into the kind of consumer mind because the beta of the oculus was six or seven years ago wasn't it yeah definitely had dk1 uh remember like backing it on kickstarter and mm getting it and being so elated with joy to try it out and jumping into a VR roller coaster and feeling pretty nauseous for about two days after that. <laughs> yeah, so. totally. <laughs> and so what, five founders, like multidisciplinary, what, what, you have different... Yeah, definitely, absolutely. So I think um, from a few different areas, so 
our uh, COO, he was working in uh, corporate recovery. So the perfect mindset for starting a startup because yeah, yeah. you're working with <laughs> bankrupt businesses a lot of the time. Uh, one of the one of the most transformative has actually been our uh, creative director, right? So a designer who's then just become you know a UX storyteller. Um, same again with uh, one of our co-founders, he's a photographer. Then he turned into a filmmaker, then turned into a 360 storyteller, and yeah, he's now like leading some of the craziest stuff that I've ever seen be produced. And similar um, GM, he's just like a. You know, he, he loves a good spreadsheet, but his mind just works like a machine and he just knows what needs to be done and keeps us in check. So it's, it's nice, a nice big spread. And I don't really know what my role is or what I'm doing here, but uh, I'm having a good time. Were you at high school together? or you at, Yeah, you, we, we went to high school together. That's pretty cool. Finally. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was funny in the early days, people were looking at us and they're like, no chance. Like, you're all friends, your business is going to crumble yeah. and your friendship's going to be destroyed. But... Yeah, I think communication has been really, really key for us. You know, we check in twice a week for a good one to two hours and keeps us all on the same page. And when, you know, the going gets tough, you know how to double down and you know that the people in your corner have your back. So it's really good. And you're still all mates? Absolutely. Yeah, no, never, never been stronger. It's really solid. I've, I've done work with mates in the past and I've, I've never had issues with it. You hear, you hear horror stories, but I th- you think you do need to sort of set clear divisions and, you know, but, you know obviously, you know, it's not this is work, this is friendship, but you, you need to have that in the back of your head, I think. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about some of the stuff you're working on. 30 people, so is that primarily developers or like what's, what's the structure? Yeah, good question. So we're, we're probably about uh, two-thirds developers. Uh, we cover two camps. So we have a, a web-based platform called Capshed, and the way that that works is it looks at spatial data. So uh, just in the talk I was giving a moment ago, we're thinking about, you know, um, the physical world, right? Like it's not two-dimensional. So we've been 3D scanning spaces and then creating a, a, a vessel for people to go and experience it from afar. But recently now we found, you know, tools like VR are great because you can feel, you know, like you're physically there. But through things like augmented reality, we're now actually being able to tap into it in a way that helps transform the way that we can interface with these environments when we're physically there. And so you can imagine um, some of the stuff we've been doing is actually, you know, tapping into the invisible layers of data around us. So maybe I'm about to drill a hole here in the ground and I want to see where the plumbing infrastructure is or an electrician with the electricals through the walls. Or maybe I want to see what the future design is going to look like in my, you know, renovated bathroom versus maybe, you know, this apartment complex used to be a really beautiful heritage site in Melbourne somewhere. Um, so really it's it's data and we look at how we can interact and connect with it and we built a web platform that just opens up for anyone to jump in and then create this uh, these digital assets but then turn them into different things. And so when we started it was really trying to disrupt the traditional real estate market um, by empowering the homeowner to create uh, more transparent content of their homes and then um, really change the, the frame in which people are experiencing these spaces so you could walk through a house from the other side of the world, but then also the content and how it's generated and to automate that. So rather than needing a photographer and a videographer and someone doing your floor plan, um, you just have one person go in with a 3D camera, 
they scan and map the space and then you algorithmically render out a video and photographs and floor plans and all that content and you do it faster and cheaper because you've got less people really driving that forward. Um, so that's, that's one side. And then the other is a little bit more experiential. Um, one of the main focuses for us here today, so we see ourselves as an XR studio and we cross the spectrum, you know, virtual, augmented and mixed reality. Uh, so we did a project just recently with Netflix and Google and WWF around the planet and the absolutely catastrophic effect that we're having on the planet. Um, and so really with that in mind, like it's more like a, a public... Uh, experience which is more of a story that people are feeling in a lived way rather than just having something passively watch over them yeah mm, yeah it's interesting um, like so watching what's happened in the country with the fires you know over the summer um, when things so we're in South Australia but uh, Kangaroo Island for example is three quarters of it is basically decimated when something's that close to you and you can feel you, know, you can literally feel that the heat of it and, and know people that have been impacted then people sort of stand up and actually you know listen and and donate and get involved um sadly i think that kind of dissipates as the as the event goes further away but i don't we don't understand the a lot of people don't understand the impact that you're having on the planet right and you can't take someone out to the pacific ocean and show them the plastic that's there or or you know take them to the rain so so being able to put people in the sort of driver's seat and actually show the, some of those experience for themselves um, it's quite powerful that's exactly that's exactly it right that's the ethos for these two projects that we've been working on at the moment um, interestingly when we were leading into this project rewild our planet uh, we were in singapore and as we were catching up with the team we were actually speaking with um, you know just visitors and getting some early feedback and at the time singapore was in a smog uh, from a lot of the illegal deforestation that was happening over in indonesia and so speaking with them, they had a direct felt connection to deforestation and they were much more open to then following up and taking action to prevent deforestation. And so exactly to your point, when it's a, a lived experience and it's really tapping into your core in a way that's something that's felt, not just you know something that's passive, that's where we feel the magic really sits and something that we see that uh, you know XR technologies can be a vessel where you can actually you know feel that heat so to speak and you can actually be you know standing in the you know that garbage patch or swimming in it in that sense and so it's an interesting vessel to really open people's minds to things that they're maybe not exposed to on a daily basis the um the so was it captured is that the name of the capture so uh, as far as sort of uh, use cases for that so you sort of real estate one of the primary sort of uh, like business yeah well absolutely we started in in, in real estate um but it's, it's shifting now we we see you know in the early days it was a very short life cycle of you selling a house so you know for, for the next three months you care about this and then after that all the content that you've created kind of you know dissipates and so what we want to try and do is use that that data to then help uh, change the way people can actually live or work or play in these environments through time and so that value isn't just you know a three-month period but it could be three to ten years for instance and so we're shifting the the needle in a way that isn't like real estate but it's actually um, really just building a bridge between um, people and place and so the key ingredient and in what we've been specializing in is something known as the digital twin and the way that that works is you basically um, use that scanned information and you feed it to people's phones or eventually their smart glasses and then it recognizes where it is in the world and then orients and aligns itself within it. 
And so then once you've tapped into that digital layer of information now, you can start augmenting you know, an infinite number of different layers of content. And so it could be in a museum and you're creating a guided you know, journey for your children. And then maybe meanwhile, you're experiencing something completely different as an adult that's maybe tapping into a completely different narrative there. And so what we want to really try and focus on is using that data and then just helping anyone connect with it. So eventually we'll open it up uh, for other developers and other businesses to start augmenting their new experiences on top of these physical environments. You mentioned something before that I thought was interesting that um, I, I, I did renos on my house last year and redid the kitchen. If I had had you know, an AR way of seeing how the wiring was done behind the walls, it would have saved me a lot of time and hassle <laughs> you know but so building that building those layers of data over time we, we talk about sort of we're building these sort of digital histories of ourselves but that can go out into the world as well right so you can interact with the as a tourist for example out out you know, in melbourne today miles who i just spoke to his first time here he could be out you know walking around and engaging with the city in a whole different absolutely yeah and even on that point we we had a really fun project last year um with an amazing street artist called Roan. Not sure if you heard of him, but kind of like the Banksy of Australia, it feels. So he has this unique art style where he'll go into abandoned buildings and then paint these beautiful murals in there. And then you have this juxtaposition of a rundown dilapidated building and then this kind of like ghostly silhouette of an art piece. And so recently he did an exhibition up in the mountains here outside of Melbourne in the Dandenongs. And it was actually a 12 month exhibition. It was an old abandoned building um, called Burnham Beaches and so before we started we went through and 3D scanned that whole um, empty abandoned building and then 12 months later we, we scanned it again with his exhibition in it and then we gave people iPads as they walk through some of the rooms and so often what people assume as they walk in and they'll go, oh, that's a really nice piece of artwork on the wall. But the way Ron and his team have been working is they have um, you know, meticulously placed the furniture, they put dust around the room, cobwebs, there's a soundscape around you, and you don't really understand that body of work because you're just experiencing it from a fresh perspective. And so by being able to transition backwards and forwards in time, you had people actually you know, see with an infinite level of detail the yeah, amount of work that had actually taken place. That's really cool. AR and VR, so is this something you've been interested in for, for a long time? I think, yeah, maybe a decade, I'd say. My background's psychology, yeah, so a little bit more in that, yeah, essence of, of technology, humanity. Um, AR and VR are really interesting tools, but I think eventually, you know, we see it becoming yeah, more human in a way that's just an evolution of our senses and extending our consciousness. Yeah. People focus on the technology too much on these things and as opposed to what, what it can do and what can it empower. I interviewed someone, I've been trying to think of his name, I can't remember, who's um, quite big in the space, an older bloke. He, say, he was telling me about these phases that sort of uh, VR has been through over the last sort of 60 years, right? And it has sort of gone through waves of kind of um, in the in the sort of uh, tech space of people becoming interested in it again. And, you know, this, it's going to be, this is it. This is going to be the future. And what do you see sort of looking forward? Like how, how long till it does become ARVR more a part of our lives? Is it the actual hardware that's still kind of the, the yeah, limiting factor? Definitely. We, we've been on the roller coaster definitely the last <laughs> like six years. You know, every, the number of people that are like, yes, I'm going to start a VR business and be a billionaire. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. like, wait a second, this is really hard, quite expensive and takes a lot of time and makes me feel sick. So there's definitely been lots of trials and tribulations. Um, 
and I think yeah maybe one of the things is, is this whole concept of Gartner's hype cycle right where it breaks into the mainstream and everyone's like this is going to change everything and then all of a sudden people really have to figure out how to make it work and there's no standards and it's like the wild west and everyone's running around like firing from the hip but what I'd, what I'd like to say is you know, having ridden that journey over the last half decade now we've actually noticed in the last 12 months through 2019 an exponential shift in the software um, improving obviously but then the price point of the hardware coming down the content everyone's starting to get more formulaic with how they're going about it we're discovering uh, greater principles that make it more efficient in how we're actually producing this type of content and so Christmas um, 2019 is a really good example of the maturity of the VR industry I think um, Mark Zuckerberg Mark Zuckerberg said something like um, they sold in the Oculus platform about $12 million of content on Christmas Day. And so I think there's definitely a demand for it now. They sold out of their latest uh, Oculus Quest headsets three months before Christmas. So they definitely found that um, they couldn't necessarily make them fast enough. And so there's been a lot of really good changes specifically in VR. Um, firstly, you don't need a computer anymore. You don't need to be an IT specialist to yeah. set it up. The uh, price point now is 400 US dollars and then the craziest thing with the Quest now is you can actually pick up your hands and you can start interfacing with it without needing any gloves or anything. It's mm. quite uh, intuitive or, or setting now. setting up the sensors in the That's it, yeah. yeah. And it takes, takes a lot of time. And so really it's just that friction point. And then the last piece um, is actually that repeat usability, right? So I think VR has been this like uh, really fun flash in the pan thing. You know, that's really cool. Wow, I just went and ha- walked with dinosaurs. And then you never see it again, right? And so then after that, um, what we're finding now is you're having people that are coming back and the content, ultimately the content is so strong and good enough now that it actually you know, has this repeat usability that actually establishes a market rather than marketing. Yeah, sure. We've done, because we do app development as well, but we've had over the, you know, over, over the last probably five years, you know, clients occasionally come and say, you know, we want to do VR. And trying to, I think often trying to find a good use case for it within whatever like e-commerce is a good example everyone wants to sort of get into it with e-commerce but then i mean from the technology point of view a lot of the customers aren't just going to be sitting there with vr wanting to go shopping right and it's still easier just to do it on your on your phone um so until that sort of becomes seamless or like you said there's frameworks or things in place that allow that to happen or or people people need to become used to things too right so when something's new you're right there's 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 that you're going to have some small sort of early adopters, but then there's a lot of people that oh, I'm not ready to you know, shop online with a, with a headset on, but it, that potentially that will become commonplace. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and at the end of the day, you know, virtual reality absolutely isn't the solution for everything. And I think that's what's the maturity of the last few years has, has meant where you've seen things like education, you know, training simulations have absolutely exploded, right? And then you've got this whole idea of like VR shopping and it's already clunky and people don't have the time. But on the inverse of that, you still have these other tools at our disposal. And so I think augmented reality and retail are a much better fit. You've got IKEA making furniture, you can drop into your space. You've got Nike, you point your phone at your feet and you can drop in a fresh pair of kicks and see how that looks and feels. And then also um, Google are doing something really interesting with Google Lens, which is visual search. So maybe you're in a shopping center and you're looking at a product and you want more information. If your phone can actually detect it and then surface that additional insight when you need it, then you're actually making better purchase decisions. I, I mean, I'm personally very excited by the sort of the future of wearable or you know biotech and in how that can enhance our life, right? Like it's, uh, I think people often focus on the 
on the negatives of this tech for some reason as opposed to thinking how, how, how positive this Definitely. is for humanity. Yeah, well, when <laughs> I said in, the, in my talk upstairs, in the first five minutes when I'm trying to explain what it is that I do working in virtual and augmented reality, the first response is, oh, yeah, it's like that Black Mirror episode, yeah, right? Yeah, sure, and you're sure. like, well, actually, you know, there's a lot of really positive things that can come from this. And understandably, you know, the, the fear of, you know, social media addiction and, and gaming and escapism are very real. But it feels like if we get caught up and we dwell in the negative, you know, we're going to be petrified and we're going to be unable to act and really make the most of these tools. So I really hope that um, we can really help pave the way and collaborate and celebrate these, you know, and shine a light on the positive use cases for these new tools. What, what do you see in terms of sort of the uh, the roadmap for the next 10 years around things like, so you, you mentioned glasses before and obviously this has already, you know, it's come out and been, but it, 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 it hasn't sort of reached sort of, you know, mainstream yep. adoption anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like right place, right time is, is critical, right? So um, Google Glass, obviously, like way too soon. I got an email through Google yesterday about the second edition of their enterprise Google Glass, right? So it's had a really long and probably quite awkward journey, but now it's working in factories as a heads-up display where people are like scanning barcodes and then using it as a way to like do their job, right? So it's not the product for everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, Google Glass wasn't actually mixed reality or smart glasses. It was just a little screen that was like hands-free. And so it was, it was funny when they were um, launching it, they were talking about the awkward aspect when you're talking to someone, looking at them in the eyes, and then you divert and you look down at your phone. And so they're trying to remove that friction from social engagement. But speaking to anyone who's wearing a Google Glass, you see them divert and they're looking up you know, into the space above them. And that sort of awkward friction still exists. But in terms of 10 years from now, um, or even I guess where we're at today, firstly, mixed reality is, is, is here as a developer's kit, right? Similar to the DK1 maybe six years ago. Um, you've got Microsoft and a company Magically. They've made two um, headsets. We've bought and, and played and developed on both of them. Um, it's really interesting to see how it's moving. Like you'll show people an experience where they're literally looking at a hologram and they're touching it and it's reacting to them. We've seen people reach out and touch something and it shocks them and they, they recoil back because they felt like they'd been electrocuted. And so it's um, more than anything, it's, it's, it's a functional product and the main hang-up that people are getting caught up on is like, you know, the field of view is quite small, the costs are quite high, and it's really the same challenges that we've seen in the past paradigm of virtual reality. And so I'm really confident, um, even listening to the likes of, you know, um, Tim Cook from Apple, he's really claiming AR is going to be as transformative as the smartphone has been. So um, you've got Google and um, Microsoft, and as I mentioned, magically, Apple, uh, Intel are all making smart classes and so it, they're kind of playing for this space that could be you know the next computer the next wearable uh, but at the end of the day you know it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of melds more seamlessly rather than this awkward thing that's kind of shoved to the side of someone's face and so whether it is you know lenses or whether it's like something that we only use in an enterprise context like the next version of Google Glass time will tell but I'd like to think even a step back from that it's really simply just wearables. Actually, quite interested to know, like thirty people over five years is, is, is fairly significant growth. Like, how, how have you how have you managed that angle of of the business? Yeah, interesting. I guess when we when we started, it was definitely always organic. Um, it's easy to know, you know, where your weaknesses are, and sorry, it's easy to know where your weaknesses are and to highlight and kind of call out all these amazing roles that you would love to recruit. But it's hard to really know, like 
what's the most paramount at that point in time and what's really going to help bring the most growth along the way. So we've very much <laughs> on the development side been fortunate through a lot of the people around us that we've connected with has just reached out and they're coming for internships and already been really passionate in the space. And so I think that's been an amazing beacon for someone that would be a right fit technically and on a cultural level. Uh, but then it's also hard because you've got a lot of people that are coming in from the bottom in the sense of a junior and then um, there's not as much leadership in the area because, you know, you're still a startup, right? You can't have all those people on board. And so what we've been trying to do is at least look at the internal capabilities and the processes that we can put in place to help them grow and upskill. Uh, but then along the way, really focus on how we can really pull in, you know, those most um, critical leaders, such as senior developers that can come in and help manage a team and then accelerate their ability to growth. Um, and so I think through our process, for the first three years, we're probably, you know, nine people. And then we took in a little bit of investment because we needed to move out of the uh, free workspace or mooch enough and kind of find, you know, our own, own place to hustle and stand on our own two feet. And that was like a, a small enough amount that kind of helped us over the 12 months to double in size and then take on, you know, bigger contracts and project work. And then from there, um, it's been, yeah, back to the organic process of then, you know, having revenue that's been coming through the projects and then identifying uh, those kind of skill sets along the way that were most critical to that point in time. It's nice having, I suppose, a... Um you know, an area of focus that people are attracted to and they're going to come out of, you know, and be like, we, we, we want to work in this space. Definitely. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like, it's, it's an exciting space. It feels like you're plugging into the future. Uh, but it is also really hard. Like, there's been some amazing, amazing businesses and some great talent that have great ideas and then the market's just not ready for them yet. Yeah, sure. Mm, so What's the ecosystem like here in Melbourne? Like, is it, is it easy to find good people? or is? Yeah, well, I've got a bit of a bias, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> Uh, love the city. The the mindset I found, at least when we were starting out, uh, a very level playing field. Didn't really feel like there was much, as much ego uh, in the industry. You know, it was a lot more open to collaboration and bringing people in that um, you know shared similar values in the sense that you know a rising tide rises all boats. And so I think that's that's been really good. Um, we've been really proactive in trying to frame. Um, our approach that these people aren't our competitors and you know if they were to get a project over us and let's wish them the best of luck and hopefully they smash it and then everyone looks at how good the talent is that's delivering it and people start you know funding more projects so that's been really good and then I think in terms of the technical talent it's really interesting like there's no real degrees at university to go make VR or AR stuff right so we found ourselves having to teach the teachers a lot of the time um, but actually, you know, in the last 12 months, a lot of universities now are actually taking it much more seriously and putting in the type of curriculum that can actually help equip and upskill that next generation. Because I imagine a lot of it is just people just doing passion projects on the side, like mucking around with Unity or whatever that's it. it is they're doing. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing to see. If someone comes to you and they're like, here's what I did in my spare time, and that's incredible, rather than like, can I have an internship and maybe do something with you and you can teach me what I need to do your job. Um, so I really appreciate and respect that a lot. The toolkits themselves, have, uh, so like Unity, for example, have, have become much more um, approachable, I suppose, for someone just getting into the that's industry. It. Yeah, that's incredible. Like we, we develop everything that we make in Unity, and it's insane that you can like throw a developer a crazy concept, and then within like half an hour, they can have a functional prototype up and running. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, like the 
I'm not a developer personally, but seeing um, the standardization that Unity are embracing, and they're helping fast track a lot of the, the like stable templates. If you're wanting to spin up, you know, an AR application, there's um, easy things to plug in, exactly as you pointed out there. Mm. I think that's great. I mean, same same thing in the sort of uh, you know in the in the web world, the, the frameworks. I think. They, they let you focus on the more important stuff, which is which is the creating and the strategy around you know w- why we're doing what we're doing, as opposed to having to reinvent the wheel every time and building those frameworks. Yeah, it's interesting. Definitely, yeah, happy to keep keep breaking stuff, but yeah. I feel like one <laughs> one mindset. It's it's been a really interesting challenge for us uh, looking at the discourse around intellectual property, right? Yeah. So. If you're a tech company and you're looking for investment, you know, what's your IP is probably the first question any investor will ask you. And, you know, I've come from a perspective where I'm, you know, a massive advocate for things like open source, right? And then, um, so we're sort of often in this, you know, struggling point where you need to tell someone, you know, that you're like shoring up some secret source that no one else in the world is going to have access to. But the reality is a lot of people are, you know, fighting the same fight and trying to build similar things. Um, so how do you try and standardize that in the same way that, you know, Elon Musk is open source, you know, electric vehicle schematics. And then that's accelerating the whole ma- manufacturing of electric cars. So I think these kind of pieces are going to be really key for AR and VR as we move forward. And definitely that open source mindset is something we can to get behind. A hundred percent. And you mentioned before the sort of rising tide. I, th- I think within the industry, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I think it's good to have open dialogue and, and share knowledge so that everyone can sort of come up. And you're right. I mean, the, the, the best team wins for the job at the end of the day. So there's no hard feelings there. It pushes people to do better work. Cool, mate. Well, uh, I'm actually keen to come out and check out the, yeah, uh, the experience. Yeah, we definitely for sure. Will. Definitely. We, we've got um, three different demos. So Rewilds, it's, it's a little pop-up version. So we're actually running it uh, experimentally, seeing how we can break it and get feedback okay. from nice. people. Because we're trying to basically have it up and running where anyone anywhere in the world can tap in. Eventually, something people can experience at home, which would be really cool for us. And then we've got uh, some VR demos. We've been working with the Royal Children's Hospital here, looking at uh, nature-assisted VR therapy. And so putting on a headset and just getting out into nature, uh, working with Suze Victoria in the same vein to then connect people with animals. Um, and some amazing learnings there. So we did a research project around um, keepers and how they would narrate uh, their experience of feeding penguins and looking after gorillas. And then we interviewed the visitors after the experience and asked them what they thought. And it was amazing. You had people commenting saying, yeah, when I was feeding the penguins or when I was running those enrichment activities for the gorillas. And so there's this internal uh, monologue now where it's actually like, that was me experiencing that and facilitating it. And so we're really curious around this whole you know, notion when we started the discussion today of this lived experience and you're putting someone in someone else's shoes, but they still feel genuinely like they're having that genuine experience. So yeah, it's super exciting and we're keen to see where it takes us. Awesome. And if people want to find out about you, where can they look? Definitely, like, uh, we've got a new new website coming out pretty soon, but foria.io is probably the best place. Throw a whole bunch of crazy shit up there all the time. And then, yeah, on, on the old gram, um, Vuforia is my personal one, and then just foria.io, similarly again. And then, yeah, online on Facebook and all those places that you try to escape. <laughs> awesome, mate. We'll, uh, we'll be chucking them up and uh, looking forward to checking it out and enjoy the rest of the pause. Legend, fest. really good to connect. Cheers, Thank you mate. very much. Hey everybody, Sam here again. Thanks so much, Trent. That was awesome chat. I really enjoyed hearing about the work that Fora is doing. If you want to check out their website, there's some great demos of some of those experiences that they've created. 
it's uh, it's crazy the the level of detail they go to to really try and transport you. And I was lucky enough to actually jump into one of the demos there on the day. So um, really cool stuff and some great insights, I think, into the future of some of this tech. So cheers, Trent. Thanks to Pause Fest for having us. And if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to check out some of the others in this series and the backlog before that. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.